Welcome back to this week's edition of The Walkthrough, where we check off the week's most trending topics in real estate. I'm your co-host, Byron Lazine, along with Eric Simon, the broke agent. Returning to the show, two electric guests. I love being around both of these. One, because when I get around Brooks Landry, I can just walk by him in Dallas and say nothing other than then Brooks be a realtor. You probably know him from his epic series, Be a Realtor on IG. And you certainly, if you've ever clicked the YouTube app, know who Jeremy Knight is. He has some bombshell tips around YouTube shorts later in the show. Jeremy Knight, welcome back to the walkthrough. Thank you. I, I love having I love having you on because you are electricity out of the bottle. You are the genie out of the bottle, Jeremy. The Jeremy out of the bottle. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's not a good thing, but hey, you know what? At least I go, you know? Yeah. I, I love was it. That a, uh, was that a Christina Aguilera reference? Right I there? Was love that an old... the song, Genie in a Bottle, Christina Aguilera. You nailed it, Brooks. Mm-hmm. You nailed it. I, Eric, that does not that track song? with you, but yeah, of course I remember that song. All right. But that <laughs> does not track with song. you as a Christina Aguilera fan. That's oh. strange. I, I had You're a more huge crush on her. Yeah, I, I was Christina Aguilera. Yeah, I mean, that mm-hmm. dirty video, that was... That was the video for us teenage boys, huh, fellas? We're pushing the envelope. <laughs> Just kidding. Brooks is a uh, huge Lady Gaga fan, if you haven't heard. His whole house is like Lady Gaga. So. <laughs> you should see decked. the office. Yeah. Oh, my God. The, play, the, the, the track in the gym today was just nothing but Gaga. Uh, yeah. Back and forth. Mm-hmm. It's not a gym song. You see song, him do this but... all the time. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, I, I love Brooks, what he's doing online. I also love what KCM is doing on online, Keeping Current Matters. We're going to talk about a whole bunch of topics right now that you should be using in your market, in vertical video, and KCM has set it up so that you can do it without thinking. So if you're the agent right now that doesn't have the time to go through, what am I gonna script, all that, I just need to get some video content out there, go try it for free. KCM's new product, Real Talk, is gonna help you take this information, get it out to your consumers quickly so you can just get back to your business. All right, let's jump right in to topic number one. It seems to be intensifying. We've talked about it a lot, but are we now in a complete decline in this real estate market? We've got a BAM article that just went up from deceleration, so white hot market to normalized market, I've heard that a lot, to complete decline. Well, there is some reports out from Black Knight Data as well as Goldman Sachs, and these are very reputable sources that are starting to really scream we are going to have a massive decline in the real estate market now uh let, let's kick it around because we've, we've got jeremy austin texas we've got brooks on the west coast i'm very familiar with the east coast eric is familiar with all of north america with the data he has on the broke agent channel and w- what are you guys seeing do you feel like the headlines that keep getting louder, they keep getting stronger, more persistent, that we are going to see a rough 2023. Jeremy, I'll start with you. 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I did a video <clears throat> on my YouTube channel. It comes out next week. And we were lo I was looking at the declines and most notably looking at the cancellations from new construction. Uh, you have the numbers up right here on the article. San Jose is down 20%, Seattle 18%, San Diego 14%, San Francisco 14%, 10% Los Angeles. Uh, and those are declines. Austin probably would have seen these numbers last month, but we actually had an uptick last month. Uh, when we when you see next month's numbers, so the August numbers, absolutely, Austin's going to be on top of this list somewhere in that probably 14% around San Diego's numbers. But what's interesting is that 27% of new build contracts in Texas, it's the highest, uh, Texas is the highest, are uh, canceling. So there's a ton of cancellations that we're seeing. I'm ha I have two... Uh, new construction clients are just canceled, losing combined like almost 40 grand between the two of them just because they backed out uh, instead of renegotiating their contract, which is something that I'm encouraging everyone to do is renegotiate your new build contract if you're still waiting. But yeah, we're seeing in the Austin market. I'm sure you guys are seeing in your markets. We went from very little inventory in Austin area to now about 11,000 units, which is like three months inventory. And I've said a lot, like back in January, I said, as long as we don't get to three months inventory, the market's going to stay pretty solid. And now we're at three months inventory. So um, probably wish I didn't say that now. And Jeremy, in, uh, go ahead, Brooks. What, what, what would you say the reasons for those particular buyers? Why are they, why are they backing out of construction? And how difficult is that to renegotiate? Because new builds, new construction, that deposit's essentially gone for the most part. I mean, we right. fought tooth and nail for clients. Yep. Same, yeah, same thing here. I mean, so in Texas, if you back out, it's up to the builder if they want to give that money back. A lot of the reasons what we're seeing are, number one, interest rates doubling. So a lot of these people, what's happened in Texas is that they put their home under contract for new construction beginning of 2021. And it's still not built. We're in the last half of 2022 and the home's still not built. When they did it, you're looking at 3% interest rate. Now you're looking at 6% interest rate. And so they're having to potentially go back to the builder and say, hey, you know, we were buying this for this. Can we get another 10 grand in incentives to buy down the rates? And we've, you know, debated that whether you should buy down or not. But so that's one thing we're seeing. A lot of people are just tired of waiting. And so they're seeing all this new inventory because if you think about it, when people put homes under contract for new build, there was not a lot of inventory. Now they're seeing this inventory going, okay, I'm buying this house for a million. I can go buy that house now for 800 and I don't have to wait another six months. I can buy it now. So yeah, they're okay losing 10, 15 grand to go turn around and, you know, pay $200,000 less for a house. So uh, that's that's those are the two main reasons I'm seeing most people back out. And then I had one yesterday, so they want to back out because they're afraid the market's declining. They're a cash buyer, so I guess that makes sense. But for most people, I don't think it necessarily makes sense to back out if you're going to lose a lot of earnest money. This is one category of the headlines that are extreme. These cancellations that, that Jeremy's talking about, new construction all over the country is talking about this issue that that Jeremy's touching on. Another issue is you, you're seeing reports where, again, for another consecutive X amount of weeks, mortgage, the, the interest in getting a loan, of obtaining a mortgage loan is way down. The article and the numbers that Jeremy talked about before, tappable equity is down for the first time in those markets that Jeremy described. Uh, Brooks, which mm -hmm. one of these issues is the biggest concern for you? 
Well, I mean, looking at this out of those five cities noted, well, we got three of them in California, two of them in the Bay Area. The Bay Area, you know. And, has, and it's because these were the five most equity rich West Coast markets. That, that's why these were highlighted. It's not specifically just saying only the West Coast is facing this problem, to be clear. Right. And, and a lot of that, I mean, especially here in the Bay Area, it's been such an inflated market. I've been saying this for months. Um, you know, when things started to kind of turn in mid-April-ish around Easter going into May, you kind of start to see, and I've been through a few of these different shifts, but you start you start to see sellers saying, I missed the boat. It's time to put the home in the market. And then they start reducing price after price. That mixed with doom and gloom, I think it's kind of like a perfect a perfect storm, if you will. Um, I, we're at least out here in the Bay Area, we're seeing just significant price reductions within a week or two of the homes being on the market without it actually kind of waiting through the process. People are saying, if this isn't a time, you know, if I'm not getting the price immediately, it's time to start making these adjustments. I think that has a lot to do with it, at least locally here. Um, one thing I was kind of going through, looking at the reading through the article, it said roughly 275,000 homes underwater if the home equity falls by 5%. So I'm curious on what was, you know, what was the underwriting guidelines for that? Are those smaller down payments? How, I mean, how, how, how does that transition? How does that snowball down the line? Yeah, the, the 5% number, I, I have no, I have no idea, to be quite honest. It, it's a little, that is a little alarming. You're seeing, you're going to see it continue. Talked about on the real world this week with the 40 year loan. You're, you're going to see banks do some squirrely things over the next 18 months because they're looking for business, right? If if somebody just getting a normal purchase loan is not there, like they were that high demand a year ago, they're starting to gonna open up non-QM opportunities mm -hmm. or get a little bit looser where they can certain banks when, when they can. Also talked about in the real world, which is referenced in this article, the Goldman Sachs report that is saying, hey, sales total sales have much further to drop okay so so we dropped at one of the lowest marks in the last 10 years we're hitting a mark right now that we haven't seen before in 2012 in, in terms of total sales and they're using case shiller data though when they talk about how that's going to you know relate to the prices of these homes kcm they look at case shiller data and i would probably use one of the charts that they referenced, which is showing you that in 2023, they're looking at home valuations being flat, which is very important. And I'd probably make a video on this, that they're not saying across the country, and we identified some markets where we are seeing tappable equity drop. But what Goldman Sachs is saying is across the country with a broad stroke, You'll actually see home appreciation be flat in 2023, not go down. So to me, that's that's a that's Case Schiller, that's Goldman Sachs. Those are reputable sources. I want to get that information out. If I'm in one of those markets that maybe didn't, that maybe isn't an Austin, Texas, you know, it's more of just a normalized market. Jeremy, what do you think about that? Yeah, I've been saying that for a while, actually. You know, when we were at the event a couple of weeks ago, KCM did a, you know, a whole talk. And one of the slides I thought was most impactful to me was the one showing the amount of foreclosures. If you look or, yeah, foreclosures, we're back to the 2020 numbers, like kind of pre-pandemic numbers. Whereas you look at 2021, it was actually quite a bit lower. So my biggest takeaway when I'm looking at what's going to happen going forward is how much does that number tick up? If we start, and we'll probably talk about that next, about these non-QM loans, 
how quickly does that actually put us further down into where we ran into problems in 2008? So those are my biggest worries. As far as like the Austin market, you know, you're right. Doing uh, small snippets about the information as far as being level, I think we're going to be level in the Austin area. The one thing that's interesting about the Austin area, we have 100,000 available jobs and we're at a 2.9% unemployment rate. That is stupid for our area. You know, that falls in line with the, you know, the the normal, right? But still 2.9% unemployment with 100,000 jobs and now homes are affordable. So if I'm somebody looking at, all right, I'm ready to move to the Bay Area, prices are coming down a little bit, I can buy a house in Austin and get a good cushy uh, tech job or be like Brooks and just do uh, Instagram reels about being a realtor, then phenomenal. Um, it's a good time to move to Austin. You mean Detective Brooks over, over there <laughs> typing on his computer? I could hear every I single am. one what of those writing keys a, an email? coursing through yeah. my brain. No. Yeah. He's a detective over there. He's looking up stats. That's it. it, it listen, I'm, I'm trying to do If you do that one more time, here. I'm pulling the plug on you immediately. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this. <laughs> I, I he say something about him, I heard it was clickety-click. Yeah. Oh, this is a two-strike well, policy on the walkthrough. This is your second yeah, that's appearance. That's, this could be your last. And that's one yeah. strike. What was the first one? The softball shirt. So yeah, I did the uh, I, I did a video a couple days ago no, about uh, about Fannie Mae's <laughs> forecast for next year. So we're kind of hearing people talking on each side of the the, the mouth, right? There's a forecast that's saying Fannie Mae's 30-year fixed rate is going to be in the mid to low fours next year. Um, so with that, obviously, as you know, when these when when mortgage rates started adjusting, you're going to start to have the buyer frenzy kind of pick back up so how i mean how does that relate to property values plummeting right now did i just throw a curveball i'm no, out here doing I, well I, i'm yeah, seeing I mean, this, i'm seeing the, the same information on, there's, there's actually references. a you know going back to the kcm slides there's actually a kcm slide that speaks to that point that fanny and freddie are predicting we're going to be in the mid fours for interest rates mm -hmm. in 2023 well it feels really intense right now because we're getting close to six we're over six in a lot of right. cases depending on on the buyer and their qualifications and the and the property that they're purchasing, we're we're also like we're we're just a couple weeks or a week ahead of the Fed saying we're going to do now a three quarter rate hike, and we see that mortgage rates move up ahead of these announcements. And then when the announcement happens, what did we see last time? Jeremy's pointing down. We actually saw the mortgage then go down after the Fed made their rate hike because again the mortgage rate is not completely tied 100% in line with those those fed there's there's a lot here and we've gone yeah. over it so many times but here's my final thought the headlines are getting more intense they're getting more consistent everybody's doing it everybody's jumping on this train whether you're CNN whether you're Fox business whether you're anybody else we've got to be out in front of our communities with how this is going to relate to you on a local level Here's what they're saying, and here's what's actually happening in our market. And oh, by the way, here's what – hey, you can read the Goldman Sachs headline that home sales have much further to fall, or you can dig into what that means for the prices in 2023. Break it down. Obviously, KCM is a great way to do that. You can go uh, KC, try kcm.com forward slash BAM to get those slides, the foreclosure slide that Jeremy referenced and all, and all of the other ones. Final thoughts, quick, Jeremy and Brooks and Eric. I think it's really smart to be out ahead of it. The problem we're going to run into as agents is everyone's going to always say, well, you're an agent. You just want to sell homes. I think Correct. if you're being broader that you can be and be because the problem I get on my YouTube channel is always, oh, you're always going to say Austin's 
going to just continue to go up. And it's actually not true. I've never said Austin's going to continue to go up. I've been very honest. So I think the one thing we can all do as agents is just be as honest as possible about the situation because that's just going to go longer for our clients and it's going to create more business for us in the future. So I think just being honest what's happening and getting in front of it and then show the difference. I mean, we're going to reference uh, uh, Jason here in a minute, but there is stuff in articles that is absolutely not true. And that's why I think it's really important to actually read not just that article, but maybe the other other article another company puts out. Because the thing is, all these news agencies, they take one article and then everybody writes the same damn article over and over and over again. So you're seeing it more, but it's maybe one actual publication put that piece out, but everybody else copies it. So they all want the clicks, right? And the clicks are all going to yeah. be negative. So we have to make this as positive as possible without being dishonest. Yeah, I think it goes back to educating, educating the clients, letting them know what's what's down the line. I think this goes back to the the importance of hiring, whether you're buying or selling an agent that's been around the block, that has been through this and has actually weathered these storms. So, um, you know, obviously get the doom and gloom out exactly what Jeremy said, but I think it always goes back to educate the clients. Far, we, we all agree far less people will be able to buy a house in 2023. That looks quite obvious, right? Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, it's possible. I think, you know, if prices come down a little bit and sit and buyers that have been on the sidelines realize that, hey, look, my my payment's going to be as much as it was at 4% if I paid $200,000 more, then, yeah, they might be back. In, and I think that this is the opportunity, really, for a lot of those people that have been VA, FHA, they've been sitting on the sidelines with 3.5%, 3% down, they can finally get in. So yeah. there's there are pros for people to get back in the market. I just think that if they continue to read all the negativity, they're going to be renters for their entire life. Yeah. And like Eric always says, that there's going to be closings that happen every day. Or that might have, yeah. that might have been Ricky Carruth. I, yeah, I, I don't think that was me. I can't remember exactly who's, <laughs> who always set, uses that line, but I thought, I thought it was the BA. Yeah, all right. Not. Bank of America making noise all week. They have announced a zero down payment zero closing cost mortgage for first-time home buyers in black and Hispanic communities nationwide. This is a meaty topic. There is a lot to unpack here because the headline does not tell nearly the entire story. Residents in selected Charlotte, Dallas, Detroit, Los Angeles, and Miami neighborhoods will be offered the program first. We can play a Jeremy, uh, not, well, Jeremy's done a, a Real on this, and Jason Cassidy, who's getting all his teeth pulled out right now, also did a Fun. reel on this, and uh, I think he's getting his wisdom teeth pulled and out. He couldn't make the walkthrough. For he that. couldn't make that's, the. That's, that's, it's insane. That would have been great geez. content if he was all iced up. <laughs> right. Let's watch a clip from from Jason Cassidy on this. So this article is dominating my newsfeed today. Bank of America announces zero down payment, zero closing cost mortgages for black and Hispanic first time home buyers. I would hope that in 2022, we know to read past the headline and into the article to figure out what's real and what's not. But judging by the comments in my newsfeed, I guess that's not the case. What's actually happening, if you read the article, is that they're rolling out this product in predominantly black and Latino communities, not to predominantly black or Latino people. White people who live in those communities can take advantage of this too. The bank has even said, people do not need to be black or Latino to qualify for the program. Now, obviously we have fair housing laws in America that make it illegal to lend based just on race. 
Ironically enough, though, is that we actually have those fair housing laws because for most of the 1900s, redlining was totally okay. And what the banks would do is they would redline out neighborhoods that were predominantly black and brown and not give those people mortgages or give them worse terms than their white counterparts in the better neighborhoods. I have a legitimate question for you. Knowing what we know about what's happened over the last hundred years or so in this country, and Bank of America was starting to offer out handouts to underserved communities to help them start to build generational wealth through home ownership, would that really be such a bad thing? So, right. so Bank my, of America- My first point with this- Go ahead, Eric. My first point with this video is, Cassidy, turn down the volume a little bit with the music in the background. I, I've oh, said yes. this a million times that he, he's right. got song blasting in the background with lyrics, and it, it takes away from what he's saying a little bit. So so find the instrumental version, put that at volume one or two. That's, yeah. that's what I got to say. That like Other than that, great piece of content. Thing. The green screen showing the article, <laughs> breaking it down, the highlights, the different sections of the article. Fantastic reel that everybody should start replicating. Yeah, mm -hmm. touched on redlining. Yeah, that was great. He yeah. did a great job breaking it down. And home ownership will strengthen communities when there's more home ownership. And so, and so I think that's what Bank of America is trying to do is like create more homeowners in these specific communities, uh, which will bring the values up in some of these communities where traditionally the values have been uh, always lower. Jeremy, you broke this down. What's your take on this? Yeah, I did a full video on my YouTube channel about this, breaking down the article and other stuff. It, you know, there's two sides to this, really. If you're creating loans that are going to be non-QM, that are going to be riskier loans, because that's basically what they're talking about in the article, that these will be, they're, they're going to have guidelines, but these are going to be riskier loans. Does Is that actually good for these communities? Because a lot of people that are in the comments on my video all said that, hey, this is going to lead back to 2008 because they're going to just put themselves into problems when they can't afford it, getting these no down payment, uh, free loan, well, not, virtually free loan because you're not going to have to pay down um, lender origination fees. You know, in Austin, we have a lot of these loan types still. We have a T-Shack loan. We have, uh, it's called a... Shit, I can't even think about it now, but it's a, it's a, a farm and ranch kind of loan for those that live outside uh, the areas of Austin. And so we have these type of loans that are down payment assistant loans and they're great loans. The problem with some of these loans though is that let's say you go to sell that house in three years. Now you've been gifted three and a half or 3% to put as a down payment. Uh, they rolled in the closing costs on that. You get past three years or five years, whatever the terms are, and that's gifted. You don't actually owe any money back if you sell the house, so that's phenomenal. But if you don't, and you like, let's say you do three years, you have to pay all of that back or the remaining part of it back. So you could see people that do these loans get in trouble down the line where they maybe had the home for two years, now they gotta sell it, but now they gotta pay that back as well because it's not forgiven. And then that could show up on their taxes as funds, like an income, now they're gonna pay taxes on that as well. So there's some things around this that might not be that great for people in these communities, but the overall thought and idea of it, I think is great to get people buying back in those communities. Problem is like East Austin, where somewhere like this would uh, help out. The taxes are so expensive; people are already taxed out of their homes. So you create more people buying in those neighborhoods, you're going to create higher prices where people are just getting shoved out even more. So there's pros and cons of this. So Jeremy, let's stay on this. You, what you're saying is this may not be the best product to actually serve these yeah. communities. Yet Bank of America rolled out this product. So. Yeah. When a buyer comes to you from one of these communities and says, hey, Bank of America says they're going to give me this loan and what, what a great deal. 
What's your advice? Are you because it's like the old adage, like you know, uh, an agent or a, a buyer comes up to an agent and says, "Hey, Zillow told me this," and the agent immediately says, "Oh, Zillow's bad. They're the devil." Like you automatically take a defensive, right? You know, mechanism against what they're hearing. And so, if we tell them, "Well, this is isn't actually the best product for you," is that being too defensive? with that buyer because they're hearing that, hey, Bank of America wants to come save me. They're doing all this great stuff for me. I think it's really important that you have really good lenders you trust that don't just do you know conventional loans. So if you have a good lender that does you know down payment assistance, USDA loans, something like that, it's good to have them in your pocket as well because you could then say, hey, look, let's look into the Bank of America loan type. I have no problem. My number one job as an agent is to protect you and your assets. So let's go through and see if this is a good loan for you or not. And let's get a second opinion. You know, you're not going to have heart surgery off the first person you talk to, hopefully. So this is virtually a surgery. Uh, well, no, you're buying, but if you were selling, it'd be a surgery. Anyway, so it's really important that you're getting a second opinion on it. I don't think that they're terrible loans, but I think the biggest thing that most of these people need and most home buyers just don't get is education on the loan that they're getting. Like they go, okay, this is the best thing. Perfect. Let's go buy a home. I think if Bank of America does a very good job educating people on the downfalls of the loan type, like, hey, you do have to own this home for three years. Are you going to be able to own it for three years? Because you're going to own this 15 grand back. I think that's really, really important. But some people don't know like these T-Shack loans or these loans where you're gifted, you actually have to go through a course that teaches you how to make your payments, how to be a proper homeowner and things like that. So if they're going to put these courses together with these loans and these people have to go through the courses before they get the loans, then I think it's phenomenal for them. So hopefully they take that education and put it towards creating uh, wealth. That's been the biggest yeah, surprise to me, Bank of America, with all the advantages they have. They haven't leaned into education at all. Go ahead, Brooks. Mm -hmm. Do we know how long you would have to stay within the loan for this? I mean, is it more like a BMR type of deal where you need to hold on to it for X amount of years and then and then if you sell, you're you know, penalized or whatever the case is? I don't think there's enough information out on it. And what there was some talk about it having those requirements to take classes, but it doesn't say anything else as far as a repayment. So I don't even think they fully rolled this out yet. So yeah. I think there's more like this coming out in the headlines. To me, the way I look at it is more of a virtue signaling like, hey, this is what we're going to do versus the reality of it actually hitting the ground. So I think there's probably some things left to work out. Some, some things to iron out. The zero closing costs, zero down payment. I'm curious what the DTI thresholds would be on this. Um, I think the student loan forgiveness program that recently happened is going to play is going to help quite a bit. I was reading that there is, you know, African American communities is roughly about $38,000 in student loan debts. That was before the student loan forgiveness program went Hispanic communities more 25%. So obviously, with the forgiveness of however much on average, these, uh, these communities have, I think will at least allow a little bit more uh, as far as the debt to income ratio is concerned. Um, but again, you know, 2012 Wells Fargo was hit with almost a $200 million fine for targeting, um, communities of color for overcharging what let it be interest rates let it be closing costs so this kind of goes back to keeping your eye on the bank you know the banks we've been down this line this this road a couple times i just hope that it's all kind of kind of you know prepared properly and underwritten properly so when just the previous topic that we're in if there is you know a significant decline in property values and we're getting x amount of people into these type of loans where do they stay you know if they're not going to be able to sell and they are upside down on the previous topic 
What's interesting is if you've ever gone to a car dealership, they always tell you what your payment would be, not what your interest rate is or anything else, not even the price. And so I think that you'll run into something like that with Bank of America in this is because with these T-Shack loans and these USDA loans that I've seen that are down payment assistant loans, if you were to get just a standard conventional loan type when we were doing them, you could probably back then get 3.75. And this is, you know, a couple of these, uh, 2019 that we were really seeing these. Well, the, the loan type, uh, with the down payment assistance was like five and a half percent. So is this a way just to get a, to get you know minorities into these loans that are going to be a much higher rate? I mean we're at six percent now. What's the rate on this going to be? Seven and a half percent? I mean that's that's what I really want to know because then it makes no sense for you to buy that with that high of an interest rate. Right. Yeah, and the risk of just knowing what the payment is now, well, it doesn't mean that's the payment next year. Taxes, insurance, those yeah. are variables that are much different than than a car payment for sure. Mm-hmm. So. It, it, it does come back to, it, especially big corporations like B of A or Wells, and they've got the ability to do it, like tap into the education in a real meaningful way if you actually care about these communities, as opposed to what seems to be more of marketing, look at us, uh, then we'll see what the execution actually is in the end. All right, let's quickly react to the comments on a recent BAM Instagram reel. Okay, so this was from the real word. This was about the this was from the new segment in the real word, left, middle, right. And you know, we take topics that are a little politically driven and then talk about how they can relate to your real estate business. So in California, Brooks, Eric, mm-hmm. your guys' state. The place the, I left. The, 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 they, they, yeah. Yes, they, we know, Jeremy. This the, the <laughs> um <laughs> Your governor went out and maybe a la Bank of America said, I'm going to go and and do a big marketing tactic here. We're not going to allow sales of new cars past 2035 that are not electric. So 100% of sales 2035 and on must be electric. And there's a sliding scale to get up to that point where, you know, more and more electric cars will be sold than gas operated vehicles. Less than a week later, the governor of California said, do not plug in your car. We have a massive heat wave happening and we need to conserve electricity. Let's come together as a community and conserve this electricity. It seemed to me very hypocritical. I made the statement on this reel and the comments have kind of blown up attacking me a little bit, but a lot of people it's it's actually 50-50, which I love. I love a good 50-50 debate in the comments. Yeah. Um, My question that, is, that, did, he, did he do this announcement from the French Laundry or where did he make this announcement? <laughs> no, I think it was. He didn't have a mask on either, well, I think. Well, oh, Bro- Brooks, was. you're in the yeah. Bay Area, so you, you would you probably go to the French Laundry every single week. But I, I made the comment, and I just threw out I just threw out off the top of my head two places. And if you and if you watch the whole pod, we go into you know deeper detail on this. But I said, hey, people are traveling to or, or migrating from California to Utah. They're migrating to Austin, Texas. If I'm in one of these locations, and I, and I could have said Arizona, I, you know, I could have said Nevada, I could have said Florida, you know, I could have said Tennessee. There, there's multiple states that people are leaving California to go to, and if I'm in one of these migration patterns for the exodus of Californians, I'm probably using the hypocritical stances of their government to my advantage in my marketing. If I know I've gotten my community an influx, 
Jeremy, you happen to be in Austin, Texas, one of the towns, one of the cities that I mentioned. Let's go to you first, then Brooks. Well, you know, if you'll think back a year ago, we had a massive power outage because of snow and a once in a lifetime um, phenomenon that happened here in the Austin area. And I heard all about it again. You heard all about it. You heard about how, you know, we're ill prepared and all this. And my response during that time is every single year, California has brownouts or rolling blackouts. And you're getting you're making such a big deal about one time that we weren't prepared for. I get it. It, you know, it's pretty funny from the outset, but it's not that funny. When I look at the the California thing, what's really interesting to me, being that I left California, is things like this that just don't make full sense. Because let's be honest, the time that you're seeing surges in power are late in the afternoon to the evening time. Why is that? Is because solar energy and wind energy don't do that much at night. And so if you're going to force people to drive electric vehicles and you can't even charge those electric vehicles, you have to understand that electric vehicles get charged from somewhere, coal, all these other places. I drive an electric vehicle personally. The guy I bought it from, our Lord and Savior Elon Musk, even says that we have to continue to produce oil because we can't survive on green energy. So he's got half a brain. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, I find it funny that that's the way they're going to go. I think with all the gas price issues and everything they're having in California, I'm just sitting back going, hey, um, you know, in Austin, you can drive that big truck here. So, you know, come on over. Brooks, California resident. Yeah. I don't know if you're born and raised there, but I know you're there and you're operating your business in the Bay Area. Your take. I got very little to add to this, boys. Um, no, I grew up in New England. I'm, uh, you know, grew up in the East Coast. I, knew I there think was it's something funny. fishy about you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> great. Uh, no, the um, you know this. It's not the realtor thing, right? You're ready for this this season, <laughs> uh, but yeah, very little. I mean. They're saying that the, you know, the, the actual, and you could probably, you know, talk to this a little better, uh, Jeremy, the, that the, the actual, the amount that you, when charging an electrical vehicle, as you can see with me stuttering, I don't drive an electrical vehicle. I know very little about this subject. So you do? You do, Byron? Yeah. You know, so what's, I mean, what what he's is the power? The, he's got the wings that do this. Nah, so. Oh, no. I got the why. but 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 during peak hours there isn't there isn't much energy exerted to the charging of this am i wrong am i right is that they're making a big deal out of during peak hours when they would shut down or have a blackout for example a rolling blackout to to conserve energy they're saying it's not going to matter as much i have the blaming it all on fox news i have the tesla in florida i mean we have some of the cheapest electricity in the country in south florida in comparison to my home in Connecticut where electricity, they, they are just gouging you in Connecticut for electricity. I, I can leave my house empty in Connecticut for a month and still pay like $300 for 2,400 square feet. I can be charging two Teslas, you know, running electricity, air condition in Florida, and it's like 120 bucks for the same month and there's nothing happening. It, it's, just, it's just crazy. Your delivery fee in Connecticut is out of control, but in neither state have I ever ever been asked to conserve electricity? Have I ever been asked to turn it off? And certainly in neither state have I ever been asked to turn off electricity after a week of being told we're going to go all electrical with the largest state, with the most residents, with the most car consumer heavy state in the country. And so the comments went crazy. And you had a whole bunch of Californiaans talking about this is such a great place. You don't know what you're talking about. We're not conserving energy. We're not being asked to 
to conserve energy, this, that, and the other thing. And then you had a whole bunch of people from California saying, no, uh, this is a problem. We need to look at it. And I would point everybody in California who is blind to what's happening in their own state to the All In podcast. These are four individuals that live in California. They actually live in Silicon Valley. They, they probably wine and dine with Brooks over there. You've got Chamath, who was one of the first, you know, big time employees at Facebook. He was a he just sold his stake in the Golden State Warriors. You've got three other like billionaire level investors. And all of them say what we were just talking about. You need to you need to like look at some nuclear power in that state. You need to look at continuing to burn coal probably for a, a number of decades until we can get to a level where we're all electric or some other type of energy. We should work on both at the same time. But this like, hey, it's just going to work out. You know, we'll all go electric vehicles and then we can, you know, just leave them unplugged and stay at our homes and it'll all work out. It, it is so short sighted. And so I'd listen to really highly educated people from California that realize uh, we do want electricity. It's a necessity. Let's go invest in it. And again, my point of tying this back to real estate, when you see silliness like that going on and you know there's migration coming into your state, use it to your advantage. Like yeah. lean on that. Leverage it. Eric, you're, you're in California. Are you dealing with uh, any blackout issues? Uh, just after I drink too much. <laughs> <laughs> just, fri just Friday yeah. night. Yeah, exactly. That happened in Dallas, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> you were in Texas. Two years ago, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. I mean, lights are on right here. My camera did just shut down, but other than that, I'm all good. Black. I did, actually. I when we started talking out. about it, you disappeared for a minute. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I wondered if he was okay. Are you concerned at all about not having access to electricity? Or, or, or is that overblown, as your boy Cassidy likes to say? That's overblown, as Cassidy would like to say. I'm concerned about what we're posting next. That's all I care about. Lights are still on over <laughs> here. A, well, Instagram crashed yesterday. Yeah, trust me, I know. That was they're a, that they're, was a they're headquartered in California. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah, use anything you got to your advantage to, to help your market. And uh, and that, that's, that would be my take there. All right, let, let's go to YouTube Shorts. We've got Jeremy Knight. YouTube expert, what's what do we need to know about the YouTube Shorts algorithm? How can we use it to get more business? Yeah, so um, it's it's interesting. So there's a lot of people in my court of people that say don't do them. It doesn't add to your channel. There's a lot of hesitation around it. My biggest issue with YouTube Shorts is the fact that if you put it on your YouTube channel, YouTube has not created a lane on YouTube. If I'm going to go to your channel where it's nothing but shorts. And so when you go to your channel, it's just, it clogs up your channel with like these black bars and then a vertical. And so that is why I particularly don't care for shorts on my channel. I'm creating, like we said earlier, I'm creating a Jeremy shorts channel where it's all going to be my Instagram short real stuff. Um, you know, Pantana said that, you know, off the article he was talking about that you should put them on there. I just don't think they really add enough to your channel to have them on there from my testing of it because I was testing them for a while to see how they did. I had a few of them that would do really, really well. They get more views than my standard videos, yet there wasn't very much 
um, back and forth on there. Like on my standard videos, I get a ton of just comments and people arguing just like you had with your Instagram reel the other day or your from your podcast. So I think there's a lot of things at play here. I wish that YouTube would create something on your channel where if you're scrolling on somebody's channel, it comes and it's just all of their shorts and then you can scroll through their shorts. Uh, that sounds weird, but uh, Brooks, I'm going to scroll through your shorts after this. Um, <laughs> but uh, as far as that goes, beyond that, I think shorts are phenomenal. I, like I said, I'm creating a whole second channel to put them on there that's going to point back to my channel. I just didn't find enough yeah. um, just umph out of shorts to really make an impact on my channel. And I'll make this statement right here. Go to Mr. Beast's channel, the biggest YouTuber on the planet. You don't find YouTube shorts on there. He's got a whole separate channel. And so Daryl Eves is the big manager of everybody. Everybody who's everybody on YouTube knows Daryl Eves. And even Daryl Eves is saying create a second channel. Okay. So, so well, second and, channel just for shorts. I'll I'll yeah. disagree with that. I think that if you're you have a sophisticated channel that is, you know, like a Jeremy Knight in Austin, Texas, that is speaking to SEO of YouTube very well, or if you're Mr. Beast and you're the number one YouTube channel on the platform, you pr you probably have the leverage to go start a shorts channel. What I've seen with my personal channel is more subscribers, way more views, an explosion on my personal channel in both categories when I started adding shorts. We've seen, and I'll let Eric speak to it, we've seen mixed results on the BAM YouTube with shorts. Some have, like Jeremy said, some have done really well, and then some have just not done well. And, and you know, I know Eric's of the belief that maybe it's muddying the waters a little bit similar to Jeremy. So we'll jump in with Eric, then we'll go to Brooks. Yeah, I was concerned about that. But in this article, like a YouTube rep actually said that there's two separate algorithms for shorts. Do you think that and YouTube, though, wants you to use them and they're going to use any excuse to tell you to use them, though? I mean, you're talking about a YouTube rep. So, yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I cut you off. Go ahead. Yeah, I don't remember what I was going to say now. Thanks, Jeremy. You're, no, um, you're, you're referring they, to the BAM have, article, which we have linked below. Yeah. We have a whole yeah, article. Yeah, the BAM article. So, algorithm. yeah, of course, a YouTube rep wants to you to stay on YouTube and use, you know, the, the means to grow your channel. But I, I think they said that there's two separate algorithms. So there's the YouTube shorts algorithm, and then there's the actual YouTube algorithm. So your shorts are not going to affect it or confuse the other algorithm. They also said that channels who post both shorts and long form video are growing quicker than ones who have either separated or only focus on one. And then they said, um, if you, if you're posting a ton of shorts, this is something we were kind of worried about Byron because we'll do a podcast and then we'll throw out two or three clips on shorts throughout the day. They said each short does not impact the other short. So if we put out a short at 10 o'clock, it's not going to bother the algorithm. If we put out another one at 1030, each one gets recommended as its own, as if the other one didn't exist. And then, you know, it is performs basically how people receive it. This I, I is think what they say. I think if you're trying to grow right now from day one, this is going to be your best opportunity on right. YouTube to grow right now, to start getting some actual attention on your YouTube channel. It's going to be by far the quickest way to that. Jeremy, who has a YouTube channel that he's been working on for years, like Eric with the Broke Agent channel on Instagram, is going to be a little bit more protective of maybe some of the risks. Brooks, what's what's your thoughts? So I'm just kind of playing around with the shorts over maybe the last month, month and a half. I'm seeing some pretty 
decent numbers on mine. Um, but again, I'm no Jeremy Knight. I'm no Eric Simon. Put that on record. Um, You're just a realtor. There we go. Just a realtor. Just a third um, base coach for a softball league right here. I feel like he's going to start giving me a sign. He's a swing away. Swing away, son. That's that's it. No, the, uh, (laughs) I just lost my train of thought. Um, no, the, um, it's all to kind of catch up with TikTok, right? So my question is with Jeremy, because you've built your business and built your brain through this, is, is it, with YouTube being such a long form game, is it a is it much more difficult for the older, more established, you know, rock stars, pros like you and everybody else to kind of move into the the, the short form, or is it are they just completely all against it? This is long form. Keep us at long form. I, I think it's a good mix because the reality is, is I take a lot of short form content for a long time. I was, you know, I've had Byron on my other channel. We talked about doing short content that would you know, make you the digital mayor of your, of your town. So I think it's good to have on there. So a lot of the stuff that I was doing was news related and more of like topical of what's happening in the Austin area. And it did, it did well. But when I, I did a poll on my channel, I was like, how many people are you watching shorts? How many people like the shorts? And it was like super mixed. Like some people didn't even know I had shorts on the channel. So it, what I found is that people that want to watch your short form content, because if you go open YouTube, you start scrolling through and then you hit the shorts and then you can start scrolling through all the short content. They're two separate things like Eric was saying. So I I don't know how well it's going to help you grow your channel because I've seen some other channels, they'll have like 15 shorts and then like one long form. Mm -hmm. And if you watch their long form, their long form doesn't do as well and some of their shorts aren't doing very well. So I'm not sure how much it's actually going to help your channel. And I think that's the big question with a lot of big creators is they don't, they've got something to protect. So why mess it up by putting out this short form content? So I think that's why people like Mr. Beast and other people are doing content, you know, on a second channel. Now I was reading an article with somebody who did a whole shorts channel and they had like 1.2 million subscribers on this shorts channel. And if you look at the monetary aspect from long form content, they're making, you know, uh, if you've got a, you know, a million subs and you're getting views, you're probably making 20 to 30 grand a month off YouTube on the shorts channel. They're making like 40 bucks yeah. with more yeah. views. So mm-hmm. I think the problem is from an algorithmic, algorithmic, whatever standpoint, mm-hmm. the, the watch time on those is so short versus, and you can't run too many ads, whereas you can run a lot more ads on a longer form content. So it, it's just one of those things I think that's still going to be up in the air for a while. And I get that they want to uh, compete with TikTok and Instagram, and I'm happy to do it. My biggest issue though is just if you're scrolling through somebody's Insta- YouTube channel and you see all these black bar things with a little short thing, you're probably going to scroll by it and get to the longer form content. It, it does look a little I, ugly. I was just scrolling through Ryan Serhan's channel and he's got a ton of shorts that are crushing it. Um, but he had like seven or eight in a row as well. And when you click his videos, it's all of his most recent video is short. So it almost looks like the channel's inactive with long form video because you see such a heavy saturation of those shorts. So I do agree with that, but this will be a good experiment to see. So it'll be interesting to see how your channel grows and how our shorts continue to either hit and get thousands of views or literally get 50 views. And it's such a roller coaster with these. So we're really trying to figure out the formula, the titling, and, you know, should I throw in some funny posts in there? Because sometimes I'll just put up a broke agent reel and put that on shorts, which is so different than all of our educational content. And that will do well. So we're kind of just throwing shit against the wall right now. But 
It, we'll, to Jer- we'll to Jeremy's point, if you're trying to get monetized on YouTube, those views that you're getting on shorts don't count towards you you getting to to break through and be one of those channels that can monetize. They count for total views, but not for the views that you need to accumulate to be able to be a channel that can monetize. So, but they can help your subs, and then if you they have more subs, subs, you get more views on your long form videos. So. Yeah. And as far as the monetization goes, there's people out there that like agents that have, you know, 20,000 subscribers and they don't even monetize because they're afraid that's going to hurt the views on the videos or they'll let a video go all day before they monetize it because they want the views on it. Um, my camp and the camp that I'm around with people in the space all just say, don't let it be monetized. It, it does. It's not going to really hurt your channel to be monetized. So just go monetize. Just monetize it from the beginning and move from there. Don't play the games with the waiting and go on. Right. I mean, it's gonna, you, yeah. you have to have a thousand subs and you have to have four thousand watch hours to get monetized. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Brooks. Looks like you're out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm out. I bring nothing to this again. Yeah. Just be a realtor. You can just <laughs> shoot nice. all your videos from the softball field. I'm thinking about yeah, exactly. it. I've got a, yeah, I actually a have a, a <laughs> what catching just squatting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's go to our check off our final topic here. Should you be mixing opening NFL weekend? Football is kicking off. Should be mixing that in to your marketing, and how would you do it, Brooks? I know softball's your game, but what do you mm-hmm. th- what do you think about football? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I love uh, I love a good softball game. Um, the football for sure. I mean, you got to get the magnets. I just did a little be a realtor, but you got to be posting your magnets, your your football magnets out. Um, you know, I, I think kind of. Yeah, I don't have. I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, what? what? You guys don't get the football magnets in the mail. The oh, like you know, the team and the schedule, the oh, whole nine yards. Okay. That's like the number one. That's how you. So grow you, would you be estate. sending that out to your clients if that's you're? It. That's the old. Okay. That's how I've grown my business for years. Just magnets. That's it. So niner no. in, in your market, it's niner niners it, magnets. It, it, it is, but you you can't get it licensed by the NFL. So it just says the San Francisco football team in a different color red. So there's no niners on it. There's no. So you put your branding logo. on these magnets. Yeah. No. A lot of them. Yeah. No. Um, well, yes I don't or know no. how are you going to incorporate? No, no, <laughs> no. You, just put your, you put your contact in. What do you put on these magnets? You, you, put, you, put you put your brand, like Brooks logo. Landry, on these magnets, and then you send them to your yeah. clients? Like, this is a real story. Yeah. Okay. That's no, cool. I, I'm, I'm. This, this is, this is a joke. We're, we're moving with this. This is kind of like an older <laughs> way of growing through. You guys took this down. You guys took this down different. So, lane so would you mix football, football into your marketing at all? Is it, is it a, a, a uh, useful tactic because it has so much awareness around it? No, not as much. I mean, it right, depends. So- I, I anytime I bring up my team, everybody everybody shits on it anyway. I'm a Patriots fan, and everybody hates the Pats. So, so you're bring you're it a up- no, you're a has been fan, Jeremy. What about you? <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm gonna go with no, especially in Texas. There's no way I'm sending out Cowboys junk to people. I just I don't want to do that to people. I feel bad for them. I mean, why would I want to do that? <laughs> and if I sent out Niner stuff here, people would probably not call me. So, or actually, there's a lot of you moving from the Bay Area, so it might work for me. But I think they like the Raiders or something like that. There's another okay. team. So okay. no, I'm a no. It's right. well, me. You don't you don't have to send out specific teams, but can't you do some yeah, sort agree. of marketing around football? Like you could host tailgates. Yes. You know, branded oh. by your team. Well, you yes. could mm-hmm. do ticket giveaways. These are some thoughts uh, yeah. I wrote down. Just one second, please, before I get interrupted by all three of you. You could host <laughs> watch parties. 
You could do open houses where you're like, hey, I'm having the game on. We're going to have That's snacks here, you know, for three hours. Like, it'll be like a Super Bowl party, but with random people just signing in. You could do, like, guess the score stuff and your comments for Instagram engagement. I'm thinking outside the box here. You guys yeah, are thinking yeah. just sending magnets to people. No, I'm with you. I'm with you, Eric. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking about setting up a lingerie football league and then just starting that off. And I think that would be, if you're going to market something and use football, there you go. Mm -hmm. That's, well, that's the way to go. 100%. That's genius. I'm, I'm absolutely with you, Eric, that the events is, I mean, guys, right now, if you're gonna, going to be the agent of choice in your market, ho we're hosting a weekly panel up in Connecticut. We just threw a freaking 200 person party up there last week, like doing as many events to get people into your space. And, and Eric hit the nail on the head. You could be having people come by and pick up this Karen Peters does this in New Jersey every Super Bowl where she puts together an unbranded team package of goodies the Tostitos chips the salsa you know maybe a six pack of beer hey for my top 25 clients whatever you put together a list come pick it up at the office or we're going to go drop by and do this listen it's a it's a game of how you're going to going to get those listings how you're going to get those direct referrals how you're going to stay away from the commission compression that is rampant in our industry, meaning accepting a 35% fee from Z or paying RDC for VIP. Good options as well, but you wanna jump out ahead of that, get that referral directly from your consumer, doing what, adding value to what they're already going to be doing this weekend and already be spending time on football, creating content around that, creating giveaways around that is just a smart idea. Yeah, what about, hey, I'm hosting an open house. Everybody that comes by is going to be in this raffle, and I'm giving away tickets to the Trojans game next Saturday. What? The, the open the, house the one hasn't hasn't worked as well for me. I I personally would lean deep into past clients and sphere. Like, I just haven't seen an uptick. I've tried the open house thing um, where I try to get more attention on open house for, for a giveaway, and it's just, it's just been it's been flat. But I would right, go forget deep that on, idea, everyone. Yeah, can that one? That was an awful idea. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, you're you're on a roll for a while too. Like, yeah, was on a roll. Yeah. Stop. You should have George Costanza added when you had nothing to this segment. Um, but I, I would go deep on the past client sphere. You want to you want to take back anything, Jeremy? No, I'm not going to take anything back. Um, I will say that a smart idea. <laughs> would be so in austin we have that ut team here and so that's huge on saturday so that wouldn't be a bad idea hosting a tailgate the problem is from a liability standpoint i've seen those ut people drink and um you you don't want them drinking too much because you're going to get sued for something but uh you know there are things you can do parties you can do things you can do around football I think that's beneficial, but I think just doing parties in general, like a good friend of mine, uh, Ken Posick did uh, an ice cream social, had all these families show up and he had like 120 people show up to an ice cream social. So I still think it's a time of the year where you can do fun events. It doesn't necessarily have to be football. Everything that Eric said, except for that one open house idea was pretty good. You can just use it, you know, for something else. Yeah. I mean, if you're worried about a couple of college kids drinking at your tailgate, I think there's a bigger picture. No, no. Like these are growing like 60 year old adults just getting yeah. smashed at the game. Yeah, so okay. they're, they're the people you want. I mean, to if buy you've been to a real estate like conference, then real estate conferences are liabilities in themselves. <laughs> I mean, walk around the Omni at 2 p.m. That's, at 2 that's why Tom only gives a, you the uh, Tom Ferry conference. Tickets. There were yeah. some <laughs> zombies walking around there. 
college football fans might be the the most annoying people on planet yeah. earth they are so absurd and i, I mean I, I like the professional sports myself okay uh what do we got over under on brooks's favorite team patriots i'm setting it at five wins are you over or under what this year? five wins are you insane five i bet the actual over under is like nine and a half or something yeah it's probably it's probably nine and a half yeah <laughs> are you a Jets fan? In the, you gotta the, be a Jets fan. In the comments, who are you a fan of, and and how many games will they win? By the way, we we didn't actually. Are we doing the giveaway, or are we doing it next week, Eric? Uh, let's do it next week. All right. What Super Bowl tickets? Make sure make sure yeah. you subscribe to this channel. Make sure you subscribe to the Bam YouTube channel. We're going to be doing a very special giveaway on the walkthrough next week. We're announcing it next week, so make sure you're subbed up. Hit the like button. And we've got a huge giveaway. Brooks, yeah, appreciate you, brother. We will let you, you back despite Thank you. Strike what Eric said about you That's earlier. one. That's one That's strike. One. <laughs> Detective Brooks Landry typing <laughs> up a storm in segment two. I, brought, I feel I sorry for everybody wearing headphones for that segment. <laughs> Using a Facebook argument. Jeremy, you I know was. you're welcome back anytime, brother. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, I hope I win the special prize you guys have. I can't wait to get tickets to Eric's open house. So I'm pretty stoked <laughs> about that. So, Well, Jeremy, the, so the um, surprise, the prize is actually a one-on-one -on -one consultation with you about YouTube. Little did you yeah. know this. Oh, it's a four-hour cool. consultation. Congratulations. Four. Yes. I, yeah. I could talk about YouTube all day. So let's go. I've been and, trying to get help from Jeremy for, for months and he leaves me unread all the time. So that's epic. Yeah. This is the closest I can get to him. <laughs> well, he always starts with, it's Brooks, the be a realtor guy. And I'm like, I know sure. who you are. You don't have to yeah. start with that every that's time. An Im that's an immediate block if you if you keep <laughs> in that same message. I can't wait till Nara sues you, Brooks. All right, till next All right. time. <laughs>